Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. I want to talk to you today uh, about the seven lights of Christmas, and I want to uh, specifically focus on one of the predominant lights of Christianity and Christmas, which is joy. Throughout all of the Christmas narratives, you read Luke, you read Matthew, you will find joy is everywhere. You will find Gabriel announcing to a 14-year-old unplanned mother pregnancy to a little girl named Mary, hey, I got good news for you, tidings of great shepherds in a field, do not be afraid. I come today bearing some glad tidings of great for all people. And I want you to know today that the message of Christianity is about great joy. And so if you've heard a preacher get up and take the greatest news on the earth and make it sound like it's not full of joy, I want to say I'm sorry. But true Christianity always has with it the power to bring joy. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. So we're going to have a good time this morning. Matthew chapter 2, if you're there, say I'm there. I want to just give a big shout out this morning. Uh, I want to just say I'm so proud of this couple. Bodie and Royale, I am just so proud. They had a beautiful family, both super gifted musicians, serve faithfully at the church, don't do anything. Uh, They're not on staff, but you would think they're on staff by how much they do to make oceans so dynamic. And I just love you guys. I'm so proud of you. Look at their baby's little earphones right there. That is so cute. Come on. I love it. The best. The best. Matthew chapter 2, if you're ready to go, say, I'm ready. Erica, Michael, it's good to have you guys with us today from Idaho. They actually lived here, moved to Idaho, and we're praying them back. Everyone said amen. Another message. Matthew chapter 2, I want to start reading in verse 1. This is the Christmas story about the wise men. Someone say it with me, wise men. I don't know if you've ever asked this question, what made the wise men wise? I'm going to answer that question this morning. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, where was he born? Of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east from the east, came to Jerusalem, which is a long-distance trip. And they said this question, where is he? Would you say it with me? Where is he? I believe wisdom is, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I believe one of the predominant reasons the wise men were wise is because they asked this, this eternal question that has been begging in the hearts of every human since, since early days of creation, who is God? Do you know, I don't care what your political view is, how much money you have, where you live, what you drive, how many kids you own. Let me say something to you. Every one of us shares four common core questions. Origins, where do we come from? Meaning, what is life all about? Morality, what's right, what's wrong, and how about this, destinations. What happens after I die? What made the wise men wise? They, they started with the question, who is he? Who is God? And I believe today that God doesn't need you to have a lot of faith. He just needs you to crack the door this morning and say, God, who are you? If you are real, show me. If you do care, meet me. And if you are who you say you are, show me today. Anybody with a little bit of faith today? So it says this. They said, uh, who is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have come, we've seen a star from the east, and we have come to worship him. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, everyone in Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod heard, when he heard this, he secretly called the wise men, determined from them approximately when the star appeared. And when he sent them to Bethlehem, he said, Go, search carefully for the young, say with me, child. Now, I apologize today, but this, this message might disrupt your nativity scene. Problem with the people making the nativity scenes is they didn't read their Bibles before they made them. And so, uh, again, you can keep your little guys there at the manger, but I do want to encourage you that the wise men actually weren't there at the birth of Jesus, contrary to bad Bible teaching. It says this, for they said, bring him back, and word to me, and I will come also worship him. Watch this again. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the, the star which they had seen from the east went before them till it came and stood over with a young, not baby, not toddler, not NICU, come on. It says where the young child was. And I want you to focus on the next two verses here. Very, very critical. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great Say my favorite three-letter word. Come on, say it. Great joy. And when they had come into the house, they came into the house where Jesus was. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they fell down and worshipped the young child. And when they opened up their treasuries, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Who's got those on your Christmas list this year? I was asking for some myrrh. Ben, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country. Say this with me, another way. I want to pray this morning, and again, I want to talk to you today about joy. I think it's a word. How many would agree that we could use a little more joy? Anybody check out media lately? Seen Facebook lately? Who would say that? I have some friends on Facebook that need some joy. We'd all agree to that. But let's pray this morning and invite God into this place. God, we just love you so much. We know that we celebrate this uh, Friday, Christmas. We celebrate by buying gifts and, and being generous to others and I just ask you, Lord, that even uh, really the, the Christmas Eve Sunday uh, today, that this morning and this evening, that you would fill this place with the greatest gift that humanity has ever received, which is the presence of God. We ask you that your presence would fill these tents, would fill our cell phones as we watch this service, and I pray whether we're watching in another country or another state, or maybe even just watching from home in Orange County, that you would meet us today where we are. We love you. We invite you to fill us with your joy. I pray that we'd arrive with joy. We pray bless the Lakers this season with back-to-back -back championships. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I, uh, I have two daughters. How many parents love their kids? All right, that was a trick question. I love my kids. I have two beautiful little girls. I think when my first daughter was born, I was convinced, man, she was perfect. She came out. She was the cutest little baby. Both my kids were super cute, still very cute kids. I'm buying guns. Come on, somebody. 
um, because they're girls, and I'm going to scare every man off. They can get married at the ripe age of 29. Come on. But I, uh, I got two beautiful little girls, and when they were born, I just thought, man, these kids are perfect, and they're so cute. I, I take pictures of them. My wife and I, we own a magazine, so I'm like, I'm sending pictures to ma- other magazines going, hey, if you need a baby for your cover. I didn't hear back from any of them, but um, another message. I, I love my kids. My kids were perfect, and uh, I, I just was convinced, man, these kids could do no wrong. And then the problem was is they started talking. Isn't it interesting that you have to teach your kids things like, thank you, but they already know things like, mine, no, make me. I'm like, come out, Jesus' name. It's crazy. I got a little bit older, these kids. I started realizing they might not be a part of the royal lineage. They started acting more and more like my wife's side of the family. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, gosh, that landed good first service too, I'm just kidding, but uh, I don't know, I love kids, in this stage of our life now, we love going on trips, we, we love, I don't know what it is, I, I'm convinced the older I get, that I get more joy from planning trips than actually going on them, something about booking the hotel, the plane tickets that you think you're going to have a great time, and then you take your kids, What have we done? These ungrateful little humans. I start reminding my children, because you go about 17 miles into this trip, you've packed your suitcases, you've, 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 you've saved money, you bought the hotel, the plane tickets, you're traveling, and these little ungrateful little specimens, they start complaining and arguing and fighting, and I'm just like, do you know where you come from? I start telling them stories about my grandparents. I'm like, my grandpa used to have to walk to school 37 miles each way in the snow, uphill both ways. I grew up, I went out to eat one time a year for my birthday. You're sitting in the back seat complaining with your Chick-fil-A. Like, boy, what's wrong with you, child? So disturbing that kids have zero appreciation That you load the car thinking this is going to be the best thing ever. And you realize by the time you get to your hotel, it's like the joy's gone. We're going home. Teach you gratitude, young man, young woman. I love this story about the wise men because they somehow find a way to travel 800 miles on Arabian horses to get probably six or seven, eight months of travel to arrive at their destination and they somehow still have joy. Started thinking about how so many of us, we start excited, but along the journey of life, we start with Jesus, but many of us end up with Satan because we lose our joy along the way. And I was thinking about, man, what, what's one of the major lights, one of the major keys, tenets, uh, pillars of Christianity and Christmas? It's joy. Say with me, Joy. It's all throughout it. You read about Mary, come on, at 14, a meeting of joy and shepherd's announcement of joy and John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth when she hears the voice of Mary in the presence of Jesus, the baby leaps inside of her because of the presence of God. It was joy. And I'm convinced more as I get older and older that that, that one of the major elements of following God is living a life of joy. 
Now, before you like, oh my gosh, is this like emotionalism, or is this like I gotta, I gotta fake my way into some, work my way into some emotional frenzy, I want you to write this definition down. God gave it to me last night. He said, Mark, joy is the result of being divinely loved. You know where joy comes from? It doesn't come from getting a raise, a bonus. It doesn't come from having another kid or getting another wife or, or going on another trip. Joy, I want you to say this, joy is, the, is, is a byproduct. It's the result of being divinely loved. When you know that you are loved, joy is deeper and stronger than happiness. It's not just an emotion. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy is so powerful. It's deep within us. You see, joy is on deep, deep within the inside of us, and it bleeds to the outside of us. Happiness happens on the outside and goes to the inside. It's almost like they're traveling different directions. Joy goes inside out. Happiness goes outside in. You win the lottery, that happening makes you happy. If you win the lottery, don't forget about me. Come on, somebody. But happiness goes outside, inside, circumstances. Joy is more significant than that. Joy is stronger than that. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest attributes of God's kids. What's one of the great gifts that Jesus died on the cross to give us? Say it with me, joy. Joy, joy is not dependent on your circumstances. Joy is present in troubles, and it's actually still there after happiness has evaporated. Joy is what the wise men arrived with on the scene when they arrived at Jesus' house. The word joy used in Matthew 2.10 is the word kara. Kara is a Greek word that literally means this. It means joy. It means a joyous, a joyous thing or event that produces joy inside of you. It's something that you believe or experience that gets on the inside. It's the same word used in Luke chapter 15 when it says there is more joy. Jesus said there is more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 people bragging about how righteous they are. Say with me, joy. Joy is a powerful word. Joy is something that I believe God wants to give all of his children this season. I've been praying about 2021, and like all of you wondering, what is the year going to hold? And I heard the Holy Spirit say, regardless of outside circumstances, we can navigate the next 12 months with joy. 14 people in the tent believe it. Come on, who believes that we can live with joy? These wise men, can you imagine traveling 800 miles on an animal? I have a hard time driving 800 miles with air conditioning. I was wondering, why did they fall prostrate before Jesus when they got to the house? It's because they needed to stretch their backs out. They were all kinds of stiff after riding on a horse for eight months. They get to Jesus, and it says this. They arrived at the right place, and there were six sequential things I've never really seen before until I was studying this this week. And God interrupted me because I was going to share a different message with you today. But he said, Mark, I, I got news for my people that they can arrive at joy. I want to arrive where God wants me to arrive at life, not miserable, not cantankerous, not like some of us looking like the cover girl for the book of Lamentations. I want to arrive in the will of God, at the place of God. Come on, say it with me, with joy. I believe joy is something that all of us have a God-given right to. 
and I've seen it before all, all over the world. I've seen God's joy work in Africa where these kids have more joy as they're kicking around a bunch of, of uh, they get a branch off a tree, they roll it into a ball, and that is their soccer ball. And they have more joy than our kids have with six TVs, electric cars, and scooters, and, and, and whatever else we have here in America. These kids have nothing, but they have joy. Joy is not a byproduct of material possessions. And I love this story because it says the wise men arrive at a place of joy. And I want you to write six things down I believe we learn from the wise men as it pertains to traveling in life and arriving at our destination with joy. I believe the first thing that the wise men teach us about joy, if we're going to arrive at joy, is they got to the right house after eight months of traveling, 800 miles, and the first thing we know is, is they had joy, I believe, because they came inside of the house. I'll explain this. I think that Christianity can be lived outside of the church, but it wasn't designed that way. Some of you believe in God, you're part of parachurch organizations, and you go to Bible studies, and you love Jesus, but you've never experienced the joy of being in a healthy local church. Someone say, get in the house. I'm telling you, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And what the ark was in the days of Noah, the local church is in the days today. And there is safety in the house. There is love and community in the house. And many people, they have this Rambo Christianity that it's just me and Jesus. When Jesus died to put you in a family called the church. I want to encourage you today that these guys, they got to where Jesus was. And watch what they did. They said, we're going inside. We're going to actually go inside the place where God's presence dwells. Someone say the church. I believe that joy is connected to living in community. Some of you are lacking joy. Maybe you're watching online today or you're in the tent today. And you go, I, ch I jump churches all the time. I kind of church hop. And I, sometimes I stay home. And I don't really believe in the local church. I want to encourage you today that Jesus will return for his bride. Yes. Not a bunch of disjointed Christians. Here's the question. Can you go to heaven without going to the church? The answer is yes. The thief on the cross teaches us that. And though, it's, and though you can do it, it's not recommended. That's like saying, will your car maybe break down if you never get oil changes? Maybe it won't. But it was designed, come on, to get actually serviced. And I want to encourage you today that you can make it to heaven without church. But you'll never experience the full joy of heaven on earth without it. Someone say, get in the house. The first thing the wise men teach us about exceeding great joy is they actually got inside the house. The second thing we see in verse 10 is not only did they get inside the house, it says the second thing they did is they saw Jesus. I am convinced that what you look at is what you'll think about. What you think about will actually get inside of your heart. And you'll know it's in your heart because it will eventually come out of your mouth. I know what you're looking at by what you talk about. Some of you, all you talk about is politics because all you're looking at is politics. And though I think we should pray, can I get a good old-fashioned amen? I think we should invite God into our, our government. People say, well, Christians shouldn't be involved in government. You want to leave that to non-believers? You really want people with no moral compass, no ideologies of right and wrong, light and darkness. You want them making all of our policies? I believe the most 
I, I believe maybe one of the greatest needs in America today is righteous men and women to get involved in politics. It's all right. No, it's not popular, but I'm going to say it anyways. Can I get an amen? I'm telling you, I want to pray for righteous presidents, righteous governors, righteous mayors, righteous judges. Anybody believe that? And I'm convinced today that if we will get our eyes on Jesus, it will affect the attitude of our soul. Some of you are anxious because you're filling your eyes full of what's wrong in the world. And I just think this, man, I, in this day and age, I'm like, man, I'm praying and I'm believing. But we have to have not a what if, we have to have an even if mentality. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't happen? What if that doesn't happen? I want to tell you this. We can't control a lot of things. What I can control is what I look at. And I believe the wise men teach us that the first thing they did in God's house is they got their eyes on Jesus. You can go to church and leave the exact same way if all you do is look at the preacher. If all you do is look at the worship leader. Some of you just stare at us all day like, oh, this is a good little performance. This is not a performance. This is an introduction. And we're trying to introduce you today to the God that loves you, speaks to you, has the power to revive your soul. And I'm telling you today that if you get your eyes just off of the humanity side of church and focus on the divinity of it, God is here. This is Peniel. This is the meeting place that we meet face to face with God. Christmas is about old and young, rich and poor, having an encounter with Jesus. Are you hearing me? So I believe the second thing that we learn about joy, according to the wise men, is they actually fix their eyes on Jesus. And everyone said a good old-fashioned amen. The third thing that we learn from the wise men as it pertains to joy is they made a conscious decision when they saw Jesus. Because here's the truth. Some of you have seen him, but you've never experienced joy because you've never done the third thing. You've never made a decision to worship him. Well, I believe in God, but you've never worshipped him. Well, even the demons believe. Did you know that? James says even the demons believe in Jesus and tremble. But what, what's the difference between demons that believe and humans that believe? Well, the difference is, is you can believe and never choose to worship. Many Christians in America today, they go, yeah, of course I believe in God. Of course I believe in heaven and hell. But you're not living your life as a worshiper. You know what you're going to do in heaven forever? You're going to honor him. You're going to adore him. You're going to be overwhelmed with his splendor and his glory. And I'm telling you today that one of the great, great sources of joy is worship. And some of us have a deficiency of joy because we have a deficiency of worship. You ever notice in church that your circumstances haven't changed from when you came in to when you left? But somehow your attitude did. And the only thing that you did in that time period was is you got your eyes off of you, eyes off your problems, fixed your eyes on Jesus and said, God, you're bigger than my debt. God, you're bigger than my stress. You're bigger than my marital issues. You're bigger than the drama with my children. You're bigger than the health issues I'm facing. You're, are you hearing me today? Last service, I said, you're bigger than my mortgage payment. I said $1,600. I had a flashback from Idaho. I was like, Lord, do it again. It's a car payment in Orange County. I'm telling you that God wants us to live not just as those that believe in him, but those that worship him. I want to tell you today that worship is not a spectator thing. 
arms crossed. It's so funny in California. I, I went to one great church in Orange County when I moved here, not far from here. And uh, I remember going in. I, I, we arrived in Orange County on a, uh, on a, we actually got here late Saturday night. I unpacked a U-Haul, which you know is, uh, uh, if you look up U-Haul in the Greek, it means hell. <laughs> Anyways, so I unpacked a U-Haul all night. I woke up early in the morning. I said, babe, I want to go check out some churches. I want to see what's in the area. And I came to this church. I missed worship. I missed, I kind of got there during the announcements. And the preacher got up and shared an amazing message. So good. I'm like, I'm getting blessed myself. The band came up at the end of the service. This is not far from here. The band got up at the end of the service, and everyone, I, I closed my eyes. I start worshiping God. I could feel his presence. Tears start streaming down my face. I feel God. And in that moment, I was angry. I said, God. Did we come to the right place? This, this is a great environment. You're here. I love it. And I said, God, are we supposed to be? Maybe we should move somewhere further. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, no, you're right where I wanted you to be. Open your eyes. And I opened my eyes. I, I removed the tears. And I look around. And the entire room, there's a bunch of people in that room. And everyone has their arms crossed. The anointing's flowing. And the Holy Spirit said, the waters are stirring in Orange County, but no one's teaching my kids how to get into the waters. Worship is what gets us into the healing waters of the presence of God. Some of you never been healed before because you don't know how to get into the waters. Never had an encounter with the Holy Spirit because no one told you you can get in the waters. Worship is what unlocks the, the magnificent presence of our great God. And we got so many people in Orange County that believe, but they don't know how to worship. Well, I don't have a great voice. Neither do I. But I make a joyful noise. Come on. Don't sound good, but it's joyful. I'm telling you this morning that God wants us to learn from the wise men that, that joy comes from living our lives not outside of the church, but inside of it where Jesus is, fixing our eyes on him. Everything changes. Well, Mark, what happens if this happens politically or what happens if this happens in California? I want to let you know, just for a little reminder, I am praying for righteousness to, to prevail, and I believe it will. But let me just go here like, the, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if. I want to remind you, Orange County, that regardless if it was Nero, if it was Herod, if it was Agrippa, God has prevailed in every political climate since the origins of Jesus Christ. And regardless, I believe that America can choose a better way for righteousness. But even if we lose our minds and our way and our common sense, and we go in an unrighteous direction, Christianity will not fail. I would say this to the church in America. God will make it without America. But America might not make it without God. And I'd encourage you today not to let your, your education from your godless professors at your atheist universities to shape your worldview with God and politics. Jesus needs to revive our politicians. If you believe it, I'd love it. Come on, you've got an amen, maybe a hand clap. Hey, it's the truth. And the reason why we are where we are is because in the 80s and 90s, we had this weird theology of escaping society. We're not called out of the world to, to hide in Christian ghettos and suck our thumbs and read left-behind books 
and buy WWJD t-shirts and wristbands and pray to get raptured one day. God called us to be the salt and light of the earth. And we are where we are because we've, we've exited the places of influence that God called us to go into. Did you read that verse about going into all the world? Didn't say to go into all the churches. God so loved the church that he sent his own. No, 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 no. God so loved the world. Light is for darkness, not just for the light. Many people go, Mark, why is Ocean's Church still physically meeting in person when other churches have shut down? I think every pastor has to do what God is leading them to do. And I respect those that have shut down. I respect those that have stayed open. For us here, if you want to know what our why is, why we continue to offer online and in person, it's because the majority of what we've done as, re as it pertains to eternity, influencing eternity, has been connected to physical gatherings. Personally, I'm not trying to get political. I've known more people that have died of suicide, more people that have lost their jobs, their incomes, gotten divorced, and have, have struggled with depression through this pandemic than people that have actually died of the virus itself. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm just saying I, I've seen more people. We've had about 600 people give their lives to Jesus since we've moved out in the tents. Yeah. And of that number, about 95% were physically in the room when they raised their hand and said, Jesus, come into my life. So here's my, here's my conviction is if eternity is real and life does go on forever, do we at Ocean's Church say, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna shut down the environments where we're having the greatest fruit to influence eternity or are we going to... Uh, are we going to actually say, you know, we're going to risk a little bit. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put some skin in the game. We might get some ugly emails and some negative naysayers that say, how dare you risk? And I, everyone's going to thought, last time I checked, I'm not saying that to be morbid, but last time I checked, I, I think the death rate hovers right around 100% mortality. No one's getting off this rock alive. So here's my heart is that if we stay open, some, like we are, like we will, I believe we can impact more people online and in person than just online. Yeah. All right, let's get quiet in here. I better keep going. We're going to be a church that knows how to worship. Because I do believe that worship is what unlocks the presence and the power of God. Yeah. And many Christians are like at the pool of Bethesda, and they're staring at the waters being stirred, but they're lying there paralyzed. And we need some Christians that are strong enough to say, I know how to get you in the waters. I'll carry you in there if that, those waters start stirring. I believe that's what Christianity is. It's about lifting people that are too weak to walk themselves. So we will be people because we're joy-filled people that know how to worship. And I actually think that many people don't experience joy because maybe you know how to worship, but you've never gotten to the next stage that the wise men teach us, that we graduate from coming into the church, fixing our eyes on Jesus, some of you have done that. Some of you have even worshipped Jesus, but you've never gotten further in your joy because you've never known the, the awesomeness as, it sounds like Kung Fu Panda, <laughs> no charge for awesomeness. You've never known the awesomeness of number five, uh, or number four, opening up your treasuries to God. 
when these wise men came in, I'm not, this is not a money message. I don't care about your money. You have a lot of it or none of it. God doesn't care. He's not impressed by what you drive or where you, where you live or what you wear. If he was, he'd be impressed with Orange County. But I want to say this to you, that God is actually impressed by our ability to open up our treasuries to him. The treasuries of our dreams. The treasuries of our pain. The treasuries of our honesty and vulnerability. Are you hearing me today? Some of you, you worship God, but you're never changed because you never open up your heart to him. God, I believe that you're real. I believe that you're good, but I'm not inviting that goodness to change me. I want to encourage you to open up your treasuries. We need a God that's good enough to save us, but powerful enough to guide us. Worthy to convict us. And my fear in the church today is we want a God that's actually shiny and bright, that we welcome in, but we don't give him any permission to change us. I don't know about you, man, but I need to be changed into his image. We are changed into the image of our God by opening up our treasuries. It says they presented gifts. You know what made the wise men wise? Is they offered Jesus their best. I want you to write this phrase down. God gave it to me years ago. He said, Mark, the fastest way to dissatisfaction is giving your best to something other than God. Can I say it for the back? You want, to, you want to get discontent? You want to be dissatisfied really quickly? Then give your very best to something other than God. How can you be in Hollywood rich, famous, good-looking, married to a model, and still be suicidal? Because you're giving your best to something other than God. How can you be a CEO of Fortune 500 company? How can you have everything you've ever wanted and still be empty? Because you're giving your very best to someone other than God. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Satisfaction comes from offering Jesus our best. My best talent, my best time, my best resources, my best gifts, man, my best finances. I will give God my very best. I'm telling you, some of you bought your dream house, but you never helped build God's house. You're empty. I'm telling you, you can build the greatest castle, but you'll, you'll, you'll lack joy if you don't learn how to build God's kingdom. I don't know. I'm not even saying that. I don't care if you go to our church or you don't. I'm telling you, some of you business people, you, you spent more money on your life than you've ever spent on God's kingdom. And you already have everything you've ever wanted or needed. I would tell you in this next stage of your life, I don't care if it's this church or find another church randomly. Start going, how can I build God's kingdom through the church? And I'm telling you, some of you that are struggling with purpose and meaning and joy, as you literally say, God, use my success to build your kingdom. It will unlock purpose in your marriage and your family and your business. I love that video that we showed even of Angel House that if you watch the full-length video on our Slack channel, if you've done our Dream Team, you watch the whole video. There was a company, a guy that was on Shark Tank, that actually has gotten behind Angel House. And literally every single year, they build angel houses. And every year, they take a proceed of their business, and they go, we needed to be connected to a cause bigger than our business. Can I ask you a question? If God blesses your business this year, who's going to be blessed because of it? Is it just people that have your last name? Or is God's kingdom going to be better off? Is there orphans in India that are going to be better off? Is there women in sex slavery right now that are going to be better off because God gives you a promotion? I mentor a lot of pro athletes, and I was a chaplain at Boise State for years for the football team. And one of the first things I would tell these football players right before they went into the league is I'd say, guys, 
Give God a good reason to bless you. Because some of us are so selfish that, God, if you bless us, the only person that's going to show from it is me. I'm getting off track today. Are you with me? We will be people that open up our treasuries. God, would you please take the pain? God, would you please remove the addictions? God, would you please come in and heal me from my father wound, from my mother wound? Some of you, you have this very living room conversation with God. It's almost like when your neighbor comes over, you don't invite him into the laundry room. Hey, that living room is put in order. It's just, come on, dishes are washed, countertops are wiped down. It's like, oh, your unexpected visitor comes over. Come on into the living room. But don't come near my laundry room. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth in that room. And I believe many people have this relationship with God that they've never opened up the treasuries of the dirty parts of their life. You're still addicted, but you love Jesus. I want to tell you, I do believe in a God that can deliver you from any addiction, any vice. And I would even say he can heal you of anything. Well, what if he doesn't? I believe that we can die in faith. So the shadow side is even if he doesn't, I can still choose to believe him till the end. And I believe the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that you'll, you'll actually, you'll enter into a better condition afterlife-wise when you die believing God with the, with the words of Jesus on your lips. So my heart, my thought is, is would you today make a decision to go, God, I open up the treasuries of my soul. I want to worship you. I want to keep my eyes on you. And I want to live my life with my family in your house. That's where joy comes from. Can I give you one more today? I lied. Two more today? How about this next one? Fifthly, wise men were full of joy because they, fifthly, when they opened up their treasuries, when they kept their eyes on Jesus, when they worshiped him, I believe you know when you start tapping into this deeper walk with God because you'll start, you'll start experiencing the fifth thing, which is being divinely led. You'll start having dreams. Say with me, dreams. Notice that before they encountered Jesus, they had to ask other people about God. Where is he? But after they worshiped him, and after they opened up their treasuries, and after they got in the house and got their eyes on him, what happened? No one had to tell him anymore. It's kind of like Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. It says that, it says before the Holy Spirit came, they had to cast lots to nominate a new apostle. But after the Holy Spirit was poured out, no one ever casted lots again. Because when the Holy Spirit shows up, you're no longer gambling, drawing straws. Is this God? Is this not God? Does he love me? He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. You're not wondering if God is real. When you encounter him, he starts to give you dreams, visions, and divinely, providentially orders our steps. Some of you today, I believe you're going to have an encounter with him in this tent. You're going to have an encounter in your living room right now. Some of you are watching this in your dirty laundry room right now. And God is going to meet you right where you are. You see, we serve a God that will give us dreams, visions, guide us, lead us by his providential guidance. Do you believe that today? Can I get an amen? It's so cool. Joy fills your life. Because remember, joy is the result of being divinely loved. The last thing we see is it says that after they were divinely guided by God, in a dream, God said, don't go back that way. And it says, I love this phrase, one of my favorite parts. I preached this whole message before. You can go back on our podcast and hear it a couple years ago. But the, I love this verse. It says, the very end, verse 12. So after the dream, 
after coming in the house, fixing their eyes, worshiping, open the treasuries, after being divinely warned, the last thing that happened was, is they went back to their old country, but they went back another way. Can I tell you what real Christianity is? It's when you have such an encounter with Jesus, you, you go back to your old family, friends, and life, but even though they haven't changed, you have. I'm going back to my old country, my old surroundings, but I'm going back a different way. I believe that true Christianity is so obvious to those around you because they go, man, what's changed about you? You're not the same as you were in 2020. What happened? And you say, I had an encounter with God, and he sent me back to my old life another way. He gave me another attitude, gave me another outlook, gave me another hope, gave me another joy. Are you hearing me today? How do you go back to your old world another way? You do it by meeting with God. And I would be bold today to tell you that if your friends and family don't know that you're a Christian, you're probably not. Because the God that I serve will change your heart. He'll change your appetites. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, well, I'm a Christian, man, but I still talk like I don't know him. I still cuss like I don't know him. I still drink too much like I don't know him. I still smoke too much like I don't know him. Still sniff too much like I don't know him. And I'm not throwing rocks at anybody, but I'm telling you this. If you hang out with him long enough, he'll change you. And here's my argument. If you're not changing, you're probably not hanging out with him. You're probably playing church, but not being with the church. I believe. Well, are you worshiping him? I worshiped him. Well, are you inviting him into your treasuries? And if you are, is he giving you dreams and visions? Is he giving you new direction in life? Is he allowing you to go back after Sunday church? My prayer is, I always say this, my prayer is this time next year, you would look back and go, I have grown spiritually immensely. And I'll challenge you every week in this church, I will say stuff that will probably offend you. Probably say something that might, well, I don't know if I like that. Well, I don't like my trainer in the gym sometimes. I've been to Jesse's gym before. Jesse's got me doing these push-ups and lunges and body weight squats. I'm like, how in the world is my own body weight this hard? <laughs> Discouraged at my own body weight. I'll tell you right now, when I'm hanging out with Jesse and he's pushing me in his gym, I don't need him to keep me comfortable. I need him to challenge me out of my comfort zone. And usually the sweat and the soreness, you wake up the next day, you feel like you got hit by a train. It happened to me. I was at Jesse's gym. And I'm upset at Jesse. Like, what in the world? But the weirdest thing is the discomfort and the soreness is usually the precursor to results. And we have a lot of churches that make us feel good every week. And we go a year down the road, and we turn around, God's so good, but my life is still just as jacked up. I want to I challenge this. If you can go to your church for a year, and your darkness is still as invited as it was the first day you came into the church. I'm telling you, you might be going to a church that's not preaching Jesus. Because Jesus will disrupt your bad patterns. And I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not the one that's going to tell you to change. He'll tell you. At our Oceans Church, we don't preach cants. 
We don't say, can't do this, can't do that, can't do this. But I will say, you can know God. And when you know the Holy Spirit, he'll start putting his finger in your areas of your heart and go, that needs to go. You can come higher. I always tell our staff that most of the time, no one rises until someone sits them down and says, you can come higher. And I believe God is looking for a, a last day's church that's tired of low living. 12 months from now, I better have some more spiritual abs. Some of you are more focused on physical abs than you are spiritual abs. But I would tell you, man, come on, somebody. It's spiritual gain season. And we need to raise the bar and say, God, I want you to make me like Jesus. I want you to fill me with some, come on, joy. Glad tidings means breaking news. And he goes, FYI, breaking news. I'm telling you that God came to give his people joy. Psalm 1611, it says, you will show me the path of life. David said, in your presence, God, is the fullness of joy. Psalms 30, verse 5 says, his anger is for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Some of you are so weak because you have none of God's joy. And you have none of God's joy because you have none of his presence. In his presence is the, how do you get joy? It's manufactured in the presence of God. Some of you, if you'll spend time with him, you'll get more joy. And when you get more joy, you'll get more, come on, strength. Are you with me today? Psalms 43, 4 says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God who is my exceedingly great joy. I'll worship you, O God, my God. I love it. It goes throughout Scripture, Matthew 13, 44. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven. You know what it's like? Hey, atheist. You know, you know what Christianity's like? It's like treasure that you found in a field that you got so psyched about that you sold everything that you owned and you bought that field. You know what it says here? It says, and for the joy over the treasure you found, you sold everything you had to buy the field. Someone say with me, joy. Matthew 25 says that, that those that were faithful with little got the response of heaven from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the of your master. You know what eternity is all about? It's about being faithful with what God has given us on this life. And when you are faithful with what God has given you, one talent, five talents, ten talents, doesn't matter. Response was the same. If you're faithful with little or much, the response is, well done, enter into my everlasting. Heaven is a place of joy. Some of you think that heaven is Sister Bertha playing the organ, some off pitch, hymn, and you heard that church, right? Heaven's going to be like this worship service. You're like, then I don't want to go. But heaven isn't off-key Bertha on the Morgan. Heaven is a place of everlasting joy. Jesus said in John 15, 11, that his words he gave us for joy. And his, if we remain in his words, our joy would be full. Romans 15, 13 says, The God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember the brother of Jesus, James? James had a tough life. Why can't you be more like Jesus? Can you imagine growing up with Jesus being your brother? Jesus' room's always cleaned. Jesus always does his chores before he's asked. Jesus never stayed home from, from school sick. And if you tried, he'd walk by and say, get up. 
tough life. James says, count it all the joy when you fall into 2020, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Someone say with me, joy. Joy is not what happens to us. Joy is what happens in us because we're divinely loved. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.